Hello, welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by The Athletic's Aston Villa writer, Greg Evans. And to celebrate Black Friday, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for a full 12 months and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of the Villa and the Premier League for an unbeatable price. And we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. This offer runs up until the 4th of December, so don't miss out. And I tell you what, Greg, they will be missing out. If they didn't see your piece yesterday on, on the Villa owners, I thought it was an exceptional read. I think, I think I've said it before to you on a podcast, but that, that was your best so far. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Yeah, it took me a very long time to put together. And obviously, as you know, the, the owners are quite private, well, at least in England anyway, since t- taking over from Villa. So, um, yeah, it's something I've been working on for a while. And, you know, I feel that the owners have been like a breath of fresh air for Villa. And it was quite an easy story to to write once I'd got all the information together because everything has been so positive since they took over. So it was just basically a story going a little bit deeper into, you know, their characters and, and explaining how they've made some of the de- some of the decisions at Villa. And, you know, what, what I always find is a barometer of, of, of how well the story is, is, is the comments underneath the story on the site. And there were a lot of positive feedback from subscribers, which yeah. is always a good sign. So, you know, hopefully the supporters know a little bit more about their owners now. I mean, to be fair, the comments were nearly as long as, as the article and it was a long, in-depth in read, which, which I really enjoyed. I don't think I've ever seen the owners covered in that much detail. And it's, it's one of those times, again, where you, you're reading something about Wes Edens and Nasef Suarez and you just think, how lucky are Aston Villa because we were on the floor. And to, to be on the floor, you'd think we might end up with some ramshackle owners, but we've actually ended up with the best owners that we could have ever hoped for. In their day jobs, you know, they take on distressed assets and try to make, um, you know, them more valuable. And effectively, that's what they've done at Villa. You know, they they know, they re- recognised that Villa were um, a struggling a struggling club that they could pick them up on the cheap. Um, and, you know, absolutely no doubt about it. They're worth more money now. But, you know, it's 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 the investment that they've put into the club. You know, they're over £300 million in now since taking over. Every penny of that's debt free. And the fact that the owners are really engaged, you know, they watch every single game, whether it be from the stadium or via a video link. Um, you know, they're active in the community. There was a nice little bit in the story that I mentioned that... Um, Sawiris, who, who's a Christian, you know, very deep into his faith. Um, he recognised the homeless problem in Birmingham and, you know, he wanted the Villa Foundation to, to to help out with that and be active in the community. And it's little things like that that, that often go unnoticed and unreported. So, um, yeah, really great owners. Villa are really lucky to have them. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed the the NBA stuff as, as well. I mean, I don't know how much you, you like basketball, to be fair, but I, I've always enjoyed that looking into the books and what Wes Eden did with with the Milwaukee books and the comparisons between Giannis and Jack Grealish. I really enjoyed reading that. I, I like to read my basketball on the Athletic as well. If if uh, people listening to this podcast aren't tempted in by that article, pick me two others that, that you think they'd enjoy to read. Two that are timeless. <laughs> oh, wow. Um... Well, it's crazy, really, because on on Black Friday I put um, a thread out on Twitter just with some of my favourite stories, and I ended up yeah. tweeting pretty much throughout the whole day. I mean, I don't know what my boss was thinking because I didn't file any stories that day, but I was just constantly tweeting out stories. Um, I mean, there's so many interviews that I'm really happy with, really proud of, and really enjoyed putting together. Um, you know, we, we did a couple between us, didn't we, Dan, with, with Tommy yeah. Elphick and um, Thomas Hitzelsberger out in Marbella. You know, I particularly enjoyed those two. 
Um, I think I've said it before, I, I liked going over to see Gerard Houllier in, in Paris and, and going through his career with him. Um, sitting down with Jack Grealish for a video analysis of his best bits, that, that was really fun. Um, and, and a couple of features along the way as well, you know, I've, I've, I've gone back through some of the the you know exciting years of 2008 2009 why villa didn't quite make it into the champions league um spoke to pretty much every player in that team and just got their thoughts on 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 whether um you know russia as, as we all know was the right thing to do or not so th- there are plenty of stories to go back from and, and i think that's the beauty of of most of the stories that i've written is that they're evergreen you know so they never they never get old and the new subscribers are finding out that um, a lot of the features they're enjoying as well. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying this offer that The Athletic have got at the moment is for new subscribers only. So to to take advantage of that offer, I mean, a pound a month for 12 months is a a really, really good deal. All you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash villapod and you'll pay a pound a month for 12 months. As I say, an incredible offer and well worth doing. Right, Greg? I almost wanted to carry on talking about your articles, to be honest, because I'm so, so (laughs) frustrated by what unfolded last night at West Ham. I mean, an incredible night because Villa have done a lot of things very, very well last night, but the critical things they haven't done well is they haven't kept the ball out of the net from the two shots that West Ham had through the game and they've just wasted chance after chance. Yeah, I don't. It's hard to pinpoint which one is the more frustrating out of the two. The fact that the um, the lapses of concentration just a few, you know, a minute into each half, it just seems like Villa weren't awake and aware um, and, and weren't ready for it. So that that was very obviously very frustrating. The fact that West Ham looked like scoring for about sixty seconds in the whole ninety minutes and managed to get two goals in that period. Um, or the fact that Villa just can't find that ruthless streak. I mean, I think the most frustrating for me watching on and, and, and trying to put a match piece together is the fact that they just keep wasting these big chances. Opta describes them as big chances and, and Villa have missed 16 of them this season. Only Liverpool and Leeds have missed more. Um, and I think it's starting to become a real worry for Villa now. I mean, Watkins and Trezeguet have missed 10 of those big chances between them. Trezeguet's missed two in, in two weeks. Um, and for all his effort and energy and, and, and all the praise that I've given him in previous weeks, it feels like he's starting to cost Villa points now because it, it, he's just not scoring these big chances. And, you know, last night was a, if he'd have put that one away from six yards out, it might have been a different story. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about Trezeguet a little bit because obviously it's very, very frustrating. He, he's missed a couple of massive chances in the last couple of games and Villa come away with more than they have done if he sticks them in. But when he actually came off, it's weird, but I think we're a way worse team without him on the pitch. There's something about him. He's running, he's willing, running, his work rate, he's pressing. We're not, not as good if he's not on the pitch, if, if that makes sense. I know he's missing chances. And so, I mean, the miss last night and the miss last week, they really, really are big chances. But we're so much better with him on the pitch in, in the team as part of that team. We are better with Trezeguet, I think. Yeah, no, I do agree. And I think the, you know, that Dean Smith will say that if, if Trezeguet wasn't getting into the positions and getting in and having those chances, then it would be more of a concern. And yeah, I do agree with him on that. And I think if he continues to get in these positions, then, you know, just by the law of averages, at, at, at least, he's going to start scoring some of the some of those goals as well. So I agree with you. I think Villa are a better team when he's playing. I love his enthusiasm and you could just tell. I mean, I think John McGinn was almost laughing at him when um, when blood was pouring down his face and the players were saying, look, you're going off now. You're getting taken off anyway. You've got to go off. But he just didn't want to go off, did he? And, no. and it, it's become like a... 
it's become a bit of a running joke at the training ground now. I say running joke, pardon the pun, but all the players laugh at him and ask him if he's running to training today, you know, every day. It's like a daily thing. And there's something infectious about his personality and, and, and the way he desperately wants to win and, and does everything possible for the team. But he just lacks that composure in the final third when he's in front of the goal. And you've got to get the mix of the two, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I think back to some of his goals towards the back end of last season. They're actually harder chances than the, the ones he's missed in the last couple of weeks. So it is a really weird one. I mean, he looked like Rocky Balboa when he was coming off. I think he was due to come off before that incident actually took place. But yeah, you're right. He didn't want to come off at all. Let's go back to the start of the game then. One minute in, Villa and set pieces. It's a couple of games now where I look at our zonal marking and I just don't get it. I don't understand what we achieved by it, but one thing I picked up on last night is that we've got to be one of the smallest sides in the Premier League. You've got the two centre-halves who are six foot plus, and that's literally it. And West Ham's land of the Giants. They've got so many six foot plus players in their team. But with zonal marking, you invariably end up with what happened last night, a small player marking a tall player, and it's in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, who who do you who do you put it to blame, McGinn or Target? Because there was a couple of you know suggestions that, that Target was at fault and... I mean, Dean Smith's take on it was that um, his so-called blockers let let the runner let the runner go, and that just like kind of exposed target. And then obviously Ogbon is always going to he's always going to beat target, isn't he? In the air because of the size, but it just feels like the you know the blockers, as, as Dean Smith calls them, weren't doing their job, and it just feels like they weren't switched on. You know, it was very early in the game, and they just weren't switched on, which is you know quite unusual, really, and especially to do it on both halves as well because they would have been smashed into at half time by, yeah. by Smith because of it yeah I mean I feel sorry for Target actually because he's made an excellent block in the first minute an unbelievable block that, that's ended up in the resulting corner and then he, I like Smith says you've got to blame the blockers because it looks like McGinn has just let him go and Ogbon has got the run on Target he's, t- he's twice the size of him anyway there's nothing Target can do about that and mm. I don't know, I feel like Villa didn't really deal with Antonio on the keeper. Martinez is kind of looking for a foul and there just isn't one there at all. And it's just, it's a costly goal in the first minute of the game. And I look back to the Southampton game as well and we've lost by one goal and you've let in a goal from, from a set piece, Vestergaard. I can't remember who it was marking him now. It might have even been McGinn again. I can't, I can't remember, but... I think it was, there's, yeah. McGinn. There's something not working. There's something fundamentally not working. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what you're supposed to do, but... It looks like, in some ways, we're doing a combination of zonal marking and man marking, and surely you do one or the other because it's going to lead to confusion and there's something wrong with it. We just don't look right from it, Greg. I don't think it's a a major problem because Villa haven't conceded too many goals from set pieces, but, you know, there is a worrying trend starting to come now. And, yeah, you're right, you know, the the Southampton game, you you could almost write it off a little bit because of James Ward-Prowse and the fact that he's so brilliant at putting deliveries into the box. But, you know, there are plenty of other free kick specialists. I'll, I'll look at the way Madison whips the ball in for Leicester and you know um, Villa are going to come up against players and teams that can put decent deliveries into the box so they've they've got to sort this out it feels like they're just slipping up a little bit a little bit of a lack of concentration and you know I presume it'll be something that the team will will want to work on and will have to work on now before the Newcastle game if that goes ahead on Friday 
Yeah, I mean, the response to going behind was excellent because we've dominated the first half. Jack Grealish scores a lovely goal, albeit it was a, a nice little deflection for Villa, but I think it might have been travelling towards the goal anyway. But Grealish in the first half, they just they couldn't deal with him. They're, they're fouling him. They're, they're kicking him. He's running the show. He's, he scores a lovely goal, but we were just dominating the game. It, the West Ham just weren't in it at all. And half-time comes at the wrong time for Villa because you, you're on top. But the response to going down was really good, Greg. Yeah, I thought I thought they started slow. I thought the first, you know, th- couple of minutes were obviously bad and then I thought I thought, you know, with 10, 12, 15 minutes passed, I thought that West Ham was still um, you know, the not the more dominant of the side but the more comfortable. I thought Villa just couldn't really find their feet, but then after that, leading into the half-time period, I thought they were excellent and you know, you can't fault them and the fact that Dean Smith came out after the game and said that he told his players that he thought they were great. Sort of said it all really. Um and I thought they 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 pretty much did everything they could but without, you know, going and getting the win. I, mean, I look at that game now and I look back at it and I think it was almost easier to win than lose because yeah, of the, it really the was. chances they had. And I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm just, you know, it genuinely was, wasn't it? You look at Trezeguet's chance from six yards out, Watkins has a, a penalty from 12 yards out, of course. And, you know, if those goals go in, then Villa win the game. But yeah, it's very frustrating. I just feel that they, I feel they did everything they could. And I feel like if they continue performing like they did last night in, in, the, in the games ahead, they'll get more points than they drop for sure. The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. West Ham obviously made a couple of changes at halftime. They switched their system up away from three at the back to two, I believe. I mean, Ben Rama came on. And I didn't like the look of it. Someone we've been linked with many times. I think someone you've actually wrote about a few times as well with Villa in mind. And as soon as he put that cross in, I just thought they're going to score her. And, and they did. And I don't remember, I actually don't remember seeing Ben Rama for the rest of the game. But that one cross and that one lapse of concentration again from Villa in the second half has cost them the game. 
Yeah, he was frustrating. I mean, when Ben Rama came on, I've watched quite a few West Ham games recently, and he hasn't. I don't think he's featured actually. I think he's been no, stuck, on the, stuck on the bench for, for for a lot of them. And look, you know, I think West Ham have done really well this season. They've they've took some points off the really big boys. They're fifth in the league. You know, they had a good little run at the back end of last season as well. And they, you know, they, they're clearly getting things going under David Moyes now. But yeah, when Ben Rama came on, I just thought, oh, you know, Villa bid for him on on transfer deadline day in in two thousand and. Uh, 18, yeah, uh, 2019, sorry, Smith's first full season. And I just thought, oh, you know, th- this is written in the stars, isn't it? He's going to come on and do something against the team that was so desperate to sign him and, and against his former manager. And, you know, Smith knows exactly what he's all about. You can't let him cut in on his right like he does like that and and, and put, put the cross in. And, you know, fair play to his teammate who, who stuck it away. But it was just disappointing from Villa to concede so soon into the second half. I mean, all they needed to do, because they'd finished the first half so well, was just transfer that into the, you know, into the second half and just they switched on. It was, it was really quite interesting because I think what Dean Smith feels is if he, if his team can all sort of battle around, um, you know, rat around and battle hard for each other and then allow the attacking players to create something. He believes that his team can go and win more more games than they lose. And it just feels like they're so close, I think. I think they're so close to getting something going, but it's four defeats in five now, isn't it? So they're on a bit of a slide. Of those four games out of five as well, Villa have gone behind four times. Yeah, so we've mentioned we, that. We, we, we go behind. It's a problem. We, just, we, we don't take anything. We don't even take a point. I mean, we should have. I mean, I'm being kind to West Ham here. We should have, at the very least, had a point last night. But that pattern of going behind and taking nothing, it's still happening. Yeah, I, I, I've got the same answer to this every time you, you ask me, Dan. I just think it's so, it's just so difficult to score goals in the Premier League. And if you go one behind, it means that you have to get two then to, to go and win the game or at least score to get one and to get a point. I, I just think it's so difficult to, to score goals. So, you know, that's my stock answer on that almost. But, um, yeah, you know, look, Villa can't, the issue is Villa have got to stop going behind. It's not necessarily about, getting, um, you know, clawing it back if they do go behind it. It's keeping it tight to start with because we've seen every time that they do go ahead that they're they're quite comfortable after that then. Yeah, I mean, the, the annoying thing is in the last two weeks is they've gone behind and they've equalised and you think, right, we'll go on and win now the way, the way we're playing. And that just hasn't happened e- either time. I mean, I'm really dreading this next segment with you after last week, but we're going to have to <laughs> talk about referees, penalties, VAR, offsides. And yeah, after some of your opinions last week, I'm dreading going into this segment with you. So let's talk about the, the, the penalty then that Villa did get, that Watkins ultimately didn't convert. I actually think that's less of a penalty than the one we didn't get last week. I don't know what you think. It's, it, look, it's soft, but um, I think it's a penalty. I, th- I think it's more. Well, we just cannot. Than- we just cannot agree, can we? <laughs> I think it's more of a penalty than the other one, but um, I think he's soft. But look, I can see why they- why he's give it. And then Watkins steps up, and I didn't didn't know this stat and- until last night after the game. Apparently, he's missed four of his last six penalties. Why is he taking them? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, look, the backstory to that is basically, um, you know, if you remember the Southampton game, um, Jack Grealish picked up the ball, put it on the spot and was was going to take the penalty. Um, But then I think he had a late change of heart and just thought, well, you know, Ollie hasn't had... um, hasn't done much in this game, hasn't scored for a couple of games, I'll let him take it. And and I remember interviewing Jack at the at the start of last season and he said to me, because I asked him about penalties, because, you know, he obviously scored in the playoff semi-final, didn't he? And I think he'd hit the yeah. bar at um, 
Sheffield United, was it? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah so, so, yeah, I, I asked him a little bit about penalties and he said he always backs himself to score a penalty, but he feels that if the striker he's playing with wants to have the penalty or he feels that he would benefit from having the penalty, then he'll always give it him as the captain. So, um, you know, he gave it to Watkins. I think now going forward, there'll be a decision to be made whether whether Watkins keeps it. You know, four out of six penalties missed is not a great stat. To miss your last one as well um, also isn't great for confidence. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Grealish take the next one. I mean, the way the game went as well, it didn't surprise me to see the penalty come back off the bar either. It was just, you could tell it was going to be one of those nights. But then at the end, I mean, I don't celebrate goals anymore. I I didn't celebrate this one because you just assume something's going to, something's going to happen. They are going to find something wrong with it. And just talk me through the, through, because Watkins has put it in. His sleeve is offside from, from what I can see from the VAR. I mean, they were pulling lines out from everywhere. I've never seen so many lines on on a screen. And usually it's just the two lines. There was three lines, four lines coming up on the VAR screen. Last night, it took three minutes to decide whether it was offside or not. And there was a time in the in football where they, they used to say there needs to be daylight between the attacker and the, and the defender and the attacker yeah. used to get the advantage. The attacker gets nothing now. There is no advantage at all to this VAR system. And I know he's come up and said he's offside, but for me, he is an offside. And then the massive thing on top of that is is that VAR have spent so long looking at whether he's offside or not. They haven't even took into account the fact that he's been wrestled and strangled. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, you've summed it up there. There's nothing really more I can say on it. I, I totally agree with pretty much everything that you've said. VAR have got it totally wrong. Um, you know, it, it should be a goal or a penalty. It's as simple as that. Ogbonna's pulling his shirt. Um, and the reaction from Watkins is what is what makes him offside. You know, he's having to sort of rest, he's having to move his arms to to get out of, of almost a headlock that he's in. And 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 then it's just bizarre that his arm is then adjudged to be offside because he's, you know, trying to shake him off. Look, I hate VAR, I have to say, you know, I do. But it's here to stay. And I'm very conscious of criticising something so heavily when I haven't really got the answers to make it any better. But for me, I just think there needs to be a bit more clarity, doesn't there? Um, maybe a time limit on it as well, because three minutes is ridiculous at the end of the game. And I think it was Declan Rice who said after the game in an interview, as players, they now know for the longer that it goes on, that the decision is going to go, the decision is going to be reversed. So whatever the initial decision was, if they're waiting for a long time for it to be, for it to be checked, they kind of get to know that it's going to change then. And it does feel that way. Yeah, what you mentioned about the lines, it's it's just a joke now. It's all over the place, isn't it? Um, clearly, the, the guys at Stockley Park are, are not <laughs> making lines to make the forward offside. You know, they are trying to go by the rules, but I just think football's in a really bad place at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's in a terrible place. The way, the way it's been implemented is so, is so, so poor. I mean, I was quite a big advocate of VAR. I thought it, it needed bringing in for certain things, but it doesn't need bringing in for this. It's just taking the joy away from the game, as I say. I, I didn't even celebrate because I just thought there'll be something wrong with it. They'll find something wrong with it. I mean, mm. I didn't. I did, looking at it with the naked eye, I didn't for one minute think it was going to be that close. I actually thought he was going to end up being quite comfortably offside. Yeah, but me for too. It to, for, yeah, for it yeah. to be so tight and for it to get taken <clears> away and for it to be in the last minute of the game, two weeks running. I was speaking to a mate this morning about it. I mean, all the Villa fans I've spoken to are still so, so frustrated by last night. Imagine if, if crowds were in. And Villa fans have travelled to, to West Ham on a, on a Monday night. They've spent a lot of money to go there. They get home at ridiculous o'clock. Imagine a fan being in the ground and that and that decision happening. 
and you've gone all that way, it'd have been a travesty. And yeah. then to not get for them to not even look at the fact it's a penalty as well, it is just mind boggling. I mean, last night Villa would have gone on and missed another penalty. I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was just one of those nights. But do you see what I'm saying about the fans being there? And football's supposed to be for, for the fans, and it it just isn't anymore. There's there's enjoyment that is being taken away from football in so many ways, and VAR is the biggest one for me now. Yeah, totally. Look, and you know, and fans are so frustrated at the moment anyway because they can't get to games. You know, I think, I think even on the flip side, if supporters were just allowed into the games right now, they'd be able to just enjoy the match day experience a little bit more, and rather than having to watch it on the TV and you know agonising over these decisions, which seems to be for Villa in the last minutes every time. You know, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I totally agree with your point as well. If you're at the game and and you get done by a decision like that, you're going to be fuming, especially if it's um, you know a longer way day on. on a night game where you have to get back to work the next day. It's just, as I say, I think football's in a really bad place. I think we're going to start losing supporters from it because it's just becoming a joke now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I mean, on the positive, I suppose, from the last two weeks, albeit the decisions haven't gone Villa's way, Villa have kept going right till the end, which is a good sign. And on another day, when there's no stupid technology involved, Villa probably have got themselves back into the game and rescued points. So that's a positive. Yeah, look, I, I like this team now. I like watching them. I think I think they're entertaining. I think they're aggressive. Um, the fact that they've created 112 chances this season, only Leeds have created more. Um, you know, I, I think that's quite incredible, really, given that there are teams like Liverpool and Man City in the division. So it, it's showing that Villa are, are, are almost, they're quite enjoyable to watch, aren't they? You Very enjoyable. You wouldn't say that so much in recent weeks because they've lost four of the last five games. But I think the bigger picture, you know, you can see, now you can see that there's a project there you can see that the team are improving you can see that they're working for Smith that with a couple of um, you know real quality additions maybe in January or the following window that they could be a really successful team and you know a team pushing for those top eight places maybe even so yeah you know I think that's where Villa are at at the moment it's just fine margins they need to start taking some of their chances but I think supporters are generally quite proud of their team um, and enjoy watching them. 
I loved watching us last night. I honestly thought we looked like such a good team. And you, you take away the goals from the game. Villa have, Villa have dominated that game and we've been very easy on the eye. And it's light years away from where we were last season. I wasn't seeing that type of football at any point last season. It's just so annoying that they've, they've let themselves down in, in the way they have. Because as much as I'm going on about VAR, as much as I'm criticising officials and stuff, Villa have been the architects of their own downfall there just by the way they've defended in two separate times in the game, haven't they? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, the, 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 it was two defensive lapses and, you know, two moments of, of madness almost. And it was a bit of a feisty game, wasn't it? You know, yeah, it was, it was a really enjoyable game for a neutral, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, there were, I mean, there was a lot going on in the touchline as well. You know, John Terry was booked and, and yeah. as was a West Ham member of staff. And that all stemmed from the West Ham ben- bench berating Jack Grealish, calling him a diver and a cheat. Um, and, and, you know, D- Dean, uh, Dean Smith was not happy about that at all because... Basically, he, his take on it is that he tells all of his backroom staff not to say anything about, um, you know, not to be disrespectful to any of the opposition players. So when he heard the West Ham bench basically calling Grealish a cheat, um, you know, he started to lose it as well as as well as JT. And um, I quite like that with Villa, though. I quite like there's a bit of a, an aggressive edge to them and that they, you know, they want to fight for each other. So, that, you know, that, that was good to see as well. It's weird all that because... Admittedly, the one he, he jacked it over over egg it a, a little, but in a modern day, football, that, well. that's, that, yeah. that's what happens in football. That you'll see people do that every week. I don't necessarily like it, but it happens. But in general, he's just getting kicked left, right, and centre. I don't know what I don't know what West Ham were complaining about at that point. They were they were fouling him. They couldn't deal with him. They couldn't live with him. They're fouls. Yeah, totally. They're fouls. You know, if they're not fouls, then the referee doesn't blow up and give them, does he? So you know, it's as simple as that. If if Jack Grealish goes down and and he's and he's uh, challenged by an opponent and the referee calls it a foul, then it's a foul. It's as simple as that. So I, I don't know what they're complaining at either. He's just too he's just too good, basically. That that is the problem. I know it sounds stupid, but he is too good and he is that good. So he's the one that goes down time after time getting fouled and it rolls people up. But he's so good. He gets fouled so much. It's just a simple fact. I mean, I really enjoyed the comparisons last night on Monday Night Football. Carragher was talking about him being like Hazard. I think that's the best comparison with him playing on that left-hand side. Eden Hazard, I think I think Jack is not far from that level. I don't, I don't know whether you saw it, but they flashed up some stats from Hazard's final season and what Jack's numbers are at the moment. And they're, and they're very, very similar. I think it's a good comparison. Yeah, I think that, you know, he's he's looking like that type of player now, isn't he? You know, and he's a lot quicker than people give him credit for. Yeah, um, very much you know, so. The way he can just, I think this season we've, we've seen, we see a different Jack Grealish. We see a player that gets the ball on the halfway line and just charges at, at defenders um, and towards the goal. And, and that's what Hazard used to do so brilliantly when he was at Chelsea. Hasn't quite worked for him at Real Madrid yet because he's been injured a lot. But yeah, I quite like that comparison. I think it's a fair one. And um, you know, everyone likes to draw the comparison of Grealish and Gascoigne, don't they? Nah. But that that sounds like a more fitting um, comparison to me. Still got a little bit to do, to be honest. I think in terms of um, you know his output, in terms of goals, would still need to have a full season for me of, of of really performing exceptionally well. I thought he was great last season, but he probably needed to add maybe a few more goals to to his tally to to be classed as good as or on the level as Hazard. Yeah, because actually his goal record going into when football took a stop because of COVID was very good. 
He didn't. Yeah. He only got one when we came back, if my memory serves me correctly, at West Ham. So his output this season has been sensational, and and he's well on track for between ten and fifteen goals and ten and fifteen assists. I'd say. And then when you look at those numbers, they're probably up there with Hazard. So I think you're right. We'll judge it after a whole season. But he's more than on track at the moment to having a season like Eden Hazard's last season for, for Chelsea before he left for Madrid. Just before we go, because I'm trying to end it a bit positively, because quite frankly, I'm fed up of being miserable, but. I thought Douglas Luiz was excellent last night as well. Really, really good performance from from Louise. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought he went about his game in like a quiet and composed man. He, you don't see him too much, do you now? And he, and he just sort of does the basics really well, which is which is what you want from you know your defensive minded midfielder. And I thought Horahan coming in alongside him had a good game as well. Just did all the did all the you know the simple things right. Passed the ball quickly, moved it quickly, put a couple of teasing deliveries into the box. Um, and I thought the two of them complemented each other really well in the middle. I mean, I put at halftime that Conor and Louise were playing well and got absolutely berated for saying that, that Conor had done well. I think he does yeah. a lot of stuff that, yeah, I was as surprised as you. I think he he did fade in the second half, admittedly, but then he hasn't played for weeks, so that was always going to happen. But I thought in the first half, he was really good. I think he does a lot of things that, that go unnoticed because he's not flashy. Like a Barkley or a McGinn, he doesn't charge around the pitch. I think people take that as it, as in he's not involved in the game. But if you if you understand football and you watch that game back, in the first half when we were struggling, he was the only one that wanted the ball. Yeah, he drops himself great. into position. He's, he's always available to get the ball. He rarely wastes the ball when, when he has it. He keeps possession going. His free kicks were... I mean, I thought the one had gone in when he hit the side. And to be fair, I thought <laughs> he, he I thought he was I thought it was a good return from him. But as I say, got absolutely berated on social media at half time for having that opinion. It's just amazing that you can see the game so differently to other people, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's strange that. It's, I mean, I, I, I would have. I agree with you totally. I thought he was great in the first half. I thought he, he got on the ball. He always wanted the ball. He sort of he was. Um, he was asking for the ball off the defenders when they were playing it out from the back. You know, he was moving it quicker. He was looking to pass the ball forward when he could. I thought, as, and and then he had a couple of good free kick opportunities. You know, from from shots himself and uh, from deliveries put into the he box. Put, so yeah, you put that one I, cross I, in. It was unbelievable. I don't yeah, know how to the, the end post. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Um, no, very very surprised. I thought he had a great first half. I, I totally agree with anybody who said that he faded out in the second half as well because he did. He wasn't quite um, at the level. In the second half as he was at the first half but Dean Smith praised him after the game and, and was very pleased with his performance so if he if he praises him I think um you know we we, we all know who to listen to oh, there we go you've redeemed yourself from last week last week Greg we've ended <laughs> we've ended on a high note didn't enjoy Still talking to you last week, week. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tell you what and there was a lot of people commented on uh with the athletic put a tweet out and a, a lot of them. So, I mean, they're always going to, I suppose, because we all want the best for Villa. But they, they all sided with me. There wasn't many people that agreed with what you were saying, Greg. Never mind. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people that don't know what they're talking about then, isn't there? <laughs> oh, oh dear. Well, it, we'll, we'll end it there then. I thought we'd end it on a positive. <laughs> You've managed to turn it around to a negative. But thank you for coming on and thank you for chatting to me. I do enjoy these, these therapy sessions after, after games when Villa have, uh, Villa have lost. So, yeah, cheers. And thanks to everyone for listening as well we'll be back I don't know when sometime after the Newcastle game we'll do, we'll do a podcast and let's face it Villa need up the Villa 